Michelle Constant on SAFM. It's close to 20 to 8 if you have just joined us. And don't forget, if you have just joined us, perhaps you'd like to uh, enter this education. We're going to be talking about the water crisis, the drinking quality, the quality of water um, as it has um, shifted and changed. And, of course, we've had uh, Victor saying that... Certainly where he lives in Snake Park, the river smells and the waterways smell of uh, sewerage and you certainly wouldn't be able to use that water in any possible way at all. You're welcome to connect with us on 41391 is the SMS number, 41391. But you can also go um, and onto WhatsApp. You can leave us a voice note or you can just write it as well. 0614104107. Benoit Leroy is the CEO of the South African Water Chamber and uh, talking about a report. It's a rather damning report, I have to say, which finds that 46% of the water is contaminated and 67% of treatment works are near breaking down. Close to 70%, I would say that that was a problem. It is a grim picture indeed. Benoit Leroy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, morning, Michelle, and to the listeners on a nice, uh, cool Sunday morning. It certainly is a lovely, cool Sunday morning. It just feels like a total breather and a breathing space as well. Give us the top level of uh, what has come out of this report that um, where it's the Blue Drop Audit Report. Now, who puts that together, and what's the top level of it? So it's put together by the regulator and custodian of our water, which is Department of Water and Sanitation. So it's an oversight role, and um, it's, it's a very, you know, there's no country in the world that actually has this type of reporting system. So the system is, is the water systems aren't working, but the system, is, is, is a very, <coughs> excuse me, is a very sophisticated system. And it's put together to give a snapshot of, um, uh, potable water systems, uh, sewage systems, and also what you call non-revenue water, which is really looking at, at physical leaks is the biggest portion of that. So efficiencies in delivering, uh, water services in an urban environment. Uh, that was stopped for nine years, um, from 2013 or so, uh, because of, um, I call it political shenanigans, so it was just because the news was so bad, it was better to sweep it under the carpet. Um, that changed uh, uh, when President Ramaphosa came in with his administration in trying to overcome some of these um, these issues. The, the, the overall status in, in 10 years is that we are leaking more water, physical losses. That's why Joburg and Chwane are always out of water. It's nothing else, believe yeah. you me. It's got nothing to do with the weather. It's like the wet cold story in Eskom. We just don't buy that. Um, the, our water courses or the water reserve are being highly polluted where uh, two-thirds of sewage plants um, are in trouble, but 97% do not, do not qualify for the green drop status of 95% compliance. And these plants are designed for 99.9% compliance. So 95 is not a difficult target. So we, we have a serious problem that we are polluting the water from which we abstract to produce our potable water. And so that's why the stands do for one. For our listeners, Benoit, let's explain what is potable water. So potable water is water that we take out of our dams and rivers and groundwater. And yeah. what we do is, un, you know, for irrigation and for mining, we don't purify it. Um, it it's supposed to be of an, a reasonable quality. 
what we do is uh, for, for the towns, so yeah. it's about 27, 28% of our water, what we do is we put it through a purification system where we remove um, suspended matter, so colloidal matter, particles and the likes. What yeah. we do is we also, with chemicals, and what we do is we also correct um, the pH so, so that it is good. We also buffer the water so it will have the right hardness in there. Yeah. And then what we also do at the end is we disinfect it because there are bacteria yeah. that are naturally occurring. In South Africa, we're putting sewage in, but that's a different story, but we have naturally occurring bacteria. So we put chlorine in. Like in a pool, it gives you a residual that, yeah. so that when you distribute that, that potable water in the system, uh, what happens is you're able to contain any bacterial growth, especially when water gets warmer, it tends to have more bacterial growth. So um, as you would in a pool, you would increase the, the chlorine dosage. Um, so we, we, potable water is, is, is water that's fit for, for, for human consumption, for, for drinking. And, yeah. um, it's a global trend. We also use it for flushing toilets, watering gardens and all this. And these things are starting to change. But potable water is water that is fit for us to, to drink as, as humans and for our animals. So if I open the tap in my home and I pour myself a glass of water, that is potable water. That is potable water, yeah. And, um, but that's only 27 to 28% of the water we use in South Africa. The rest is non-potable, which is used mostly for agriculture, yeah. so for food security. So, you know, you know, everybody says we're using too much water and that. We use about 150 liters per person per day, but we call that small water. Yeah. The big water is the three to 4,000 liters we eat that is embedded in the food production because 70 to 80% of water in the world goes into food production. In South Africa, it's 63%. So one of our listeners wants to know, is the water that we drink from the tap the same water that we use to flush the toilets and the showers? It, it is. It is. And that's, we've been doing that since the first industrial revolution. Okay. It is time to change it, but it's, it's, it's a costly thing to separate it. But yeah. because it's a contested resource, uh, new developments are starting to do that where we separate it, where we only yeah. use potable or high-quality water for drinking and 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 then for thi- you know for washing and then for things like flushing the toilet and um, not topping up the pool but irrigating the garden, one would use um, grey water, so reused water. Um, so yeah. one has to start doing a separation, and and that uh, introduces certain costs that the end consumer has to pay for. But that trend is starting; it's starting slowly globally. So let's um, go to, you mentioned the issue of sewage, and in fact, one of our listeners has also noted that um, it's, it's Victor who has said that when you enter Snake Park, you met with a wetland which has become a sewage pond, and there's a terrible, terrible smell. He says also at Vilgehuvel, the river runs and is strongly smelling of um, Surge. What is that as an issue with regards? Has that come out in the report um, with regards to the treatment works and also how sewage is is being put into our freshwater uh, systems? Yes. So it's you know we're one of the few countries. Less than 50% of the countries treat their sewage um, on this world of ours, and um, in the so-called industrial revolution, and um, we've gone from a 99% compliance. To 3% compliance. So virtually all our sewage works are um, pushing semi-treated to untreated sewage um, into into the wetlands, the rivers, the lakes, and the likes. And 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 we call that eco-suicide. So um, w- what's going to happen is we we're going to get to a stage where we'll have zero potable water, but also zero water for irrigation for food, 
so we will run out of food. That's the low road, and that's where we're heading very, very fast. So what we're smelling in the wetlands are sewage works that just don't comply. And there's no reason for this. There's absolutely no reason for it uh, to happen because we're paying for the services. So, um, you know, this must be rendered. And, it's, and the minister in the report has, has seen is very clear. The report is done by independent people on yeah. behalf of the department. And it's very clear that we don't have the right level of operators. We don't have enough operators. We don't have supervision. We don't have reporting. We, we are abstracting and treating water without licenses, so the regulatory regime is not, is not working. But, you know, the bottom line is that it's no different to Eskom and to Sanral and the ports and healthcare and that, is there's no accountability. So there's no consequences for people not doing their work in government. I mean, and if you talk about eco-suicide, eco I mean, I'm thinking, you know, we've got the issue of um, sewage being leaked into into the seawater, which, of course, is a massive impact for um, not just tourism, but much, much more. Um, and the E. coli, both, both on the beaches in Cape Town, but also on the beaches in Durban as well. And yes. as I say, that's a massive tourism thing. But it, it comes closer to home uh, in other spaces as well, doesn't it? Yes. So, you know, in the first Industrial Revolution, we found out that people could live in high-density environments if we took the sewage out of that environment and yeah. brought in clean water, and we kept the two separate. South yeah. Africa is going – we're going back 250 years. The oh. two are mixed. Yeah. And, and, and that's why people are dying of cholera and a lot of other things, not just air pollution. There's a lot of diseases that people yeah, just don't understand and they just pass on. Hamans yeah. is a typical one where the waterworks takes its water – well, it's been stopped now. It takes its water from – where the sewage works is dumping um, untreated sewage, and it's completely untreated sewage, but there's downstream farmers irrigating their crops. And, um, you know, that, that is unsustainable. And uh, so, yeah, we, 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 we're in a situation where we have to fix it very quickly, and these reports just show how dire it is. To the person, to the lay person, it may seem, yes, yes, you might have a problem. To the professionals, this is, this is eco-suicide. It's, mm. um, it, it, it's, we agree, it's not a crisis, it's a catastrophe. And it is such a, a big issue because we reuse our water in South Africa. We import water into Gauteng, and uh, so it's all interconnected. And so our food and water are interconnected, interwoven. We can't separate them. This, the, the issue in the sea and et cetera is Durban has collapsed because of maladministration, and then the floods, the two floods just made it worse. So that can't be put right. There's not no money for that. In Cape Town, it's the influx of um, an increase in poverty, and what's happening is all of those, you cannot, there's not, not enough money to provide services to all to, to a million people who've come into the province. And what's happening is that's all being washed down with the rains into the sea. Um, and the sewage plants are, are also overloaded. But they are spending more than all the other metros put together to try and fix it. So it's the only part of the country that we're trying to fix it. The rest of the country, we are actually not okay. Benoit, trying to I need to jump. Anything. I need to jump in because I've got a couple of well, questions I have to get to you before. Well, uh, we get to the break. So the first one is you mentioned the importing of water. And a little bit earlier, I um, read a tweet by, I think it was Ferial Hafaji, where the journalist, where she said basically that it seems that water tankers come into the space before the water is shut down. And she was trying to understand, is that a case of a very efficient uh, organization saying, oh, dear, we're going to shut the water down, we better get the water tankers in? Or is there some kind of collusion between the people selling the water and the water being shut down? 
Without any empirical evidence, I would say it probably is a mixture of both because mm-hmm. the tanker mafia in the rural areas is very well known and established, yeah. especially in KZN. We know, we know that very well. But in the bigger cities, you know, I, there's still a modicum of professionalism where we understand the infrastructure is failing. We know where it's going to fail. There's some smart analytics there. So we're able to predict um, where things are going to fail. So we're not completely useless. There's quite a lot of capacity, um, little clusters in, in the metros of, of, of very good people who know. And we've got telemetry and we've got these smart analytics and we're able to see. So we can predict um, to a certain extent, but I think there are people also, you know, abusing it. But uh, one mustn't be too facetious, facetious about it. And also, mm. government is, is not really trying to undermine us by collapsing water services. They're collapsing because they haven't been looked after for 30 years. And we know where they're going to collapse, how they're going to collapse. So I think it's a mixture of both. Okay. We've, in fact, we need to go to a break. But when we come back from the break, I've got sure. a really interesting question from one of our listeners. And I'll put it to you now. And then we can go to the break. Which is sure. um, and he's saying... Why are we having these discussions in the 21st century when, as was reported in the news, over 100 climate delegates were sent to Dubai from Niger, coined the climate tourists? And I think this is an interesting thing because we start to look at the issues of um, both corruption but also um, ineffectual support of water spaces and the issue of climate change and how these things start to work as a much broader ecosystem. We'll chat about that in a moment. Thank you. At SAFM Radio and at Mesh Constant on SAFM. We're moving towards the top of the hour and the conversation we're having is with Benoit Leroy, who is the CEO of the South African Water Chamber. We're talking about a report that has just come out in the last couple of days. It's the Blue Drop Audit Report and it's meant to ensure that the water service authorities in this country are held accountable for providing safe drinking water. Safe water in general, not necessarily only drinking. It's part of the Blue Drop Risk Rating and it assesses um, critical risk areas within water services. So one of the things um, that I've just asked Benoit is a, a question that came from one of our members, which is the following, is the relationship between um, corruption, but perhaps also just uh, uh, the inability to support our proper water services and climate change. And, and I suppose it's actually a question about the headspace of people in the um, political environment, the political sector, but uh, also the government sector, Benoit. So, so I think what, what corruption has done is it, it took basic services off the uh, agenda and they became secondary. And this is why we see the collapse over 30 years and that people were more interested in pilfering the fiscus and uh, staying in power, and uh, which is typical of liberation movements. And uh, so it was very predictable. And um, what's happened is we've got this wobbly called climate change that's come in, and what that does is actually destroys and decimates vulnerable uh, societies. So Itikweni was decimated by the two storms. It shouldn't have been. Both were, were, were preventable. So uh, the professionals have looked at it. It's been very well discussed and debated. Both were preventable, the damages, because they hadn't maintained certain infrastructure. So what happened is it decimated uh, the water and sewage systems. So to survive climate change with some sort of dignity and economic activity, one has to have top-notch um, civil servants, top-notch uh, basic infrastructure. And like we see in Europe and in the U.S. and in China, even in those countries, 
that are highly developed. Climate change is having effects, but they're managing. It's not shutting the country down or shutting their basic services down continuously. No country in the world, even those at war, have load shedding like we do. So, um, and, and no country has been, been in a, more than a five-year space where it can't sort out its water and its electricity issues. We've been 30 years now. And um, so it's a slow-onset disaster. Climate change is just another dimension that's adding, um, let's say, uh, more to our problems. And the question is, are we up to the challenge of addressing it? We're fighting in the councils and in cabinets and in parliament about petty politics. Uh, we're not going to survive the, the climate change issue very, very well. So it's an important thing. And, and the problem with climate change is that what we're seeing is we're getting uh, different rainfall patterns in different mm. parts of the country that are not used to it, to catching that water. And it tends to be um, uh, more dense because there's, there's more moisture in the air because it is warmer. So what happens is we can catch less. So water, although there's the same amount of water in the system, we are able to harvest less less of it, and um, and the quality of the water will be worse. So we've got to have systems that are, and our systems are outdated. The technology Mm. exists. There's no problem with it. So we've got to put basic services top of the agenda and um, looting and positioning. So we have to depoliticize basic services. I believe that's a key issue for South Africa. So we've got a question for you here. I'll crack right into it. Hi, Sister sure. Michelle, it's Freda Chaka here. Sister Michelle, you know, we, 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 we have got a lot of rain, floods all over the place. But the problem is we don't have the water catchment areas, whereby you catch the water, you direct the water to the dams and stuff like that. Why are there no programs to build water catchment areas, more of them? You know, you know this uh, PWPA program, whereby, you know, the, the, the public works program, whereby the people are working around. Why are they not, you know, constructing these uh, uh, water catchment areas so that we can have a lot of water because there is rain. It's not like there is no rain in South Africa. So that's one question, and I suppose linked to that is a question from uh, Shane and KZN saying, air contains about 21% water. Can we harvest that? And I've seen some interesting um, water harvesting uh, projects where literally... Uh, the mist is harvested and, and, and humid air is harvested. So let's talk to that. As Freddie says, we have got enough water. How is it possible that we can't uh, ensure that we keep it? So, so all of our catchment areas, apart from two small ones um, in KZN and in Eastern Cape, we are dammed up. We've got two and a half years' worth of normal rainfall storage. And um, so we are dammed up. There, there, there's no... There's no possible catchment areas where we can reliably uh, catch the water. In actual fact, the Orange River doesn't flow. Our bigger system doesn't flow all year round. So we are dammed up. But there's another problem with climate change is that dams are the worst storage devices. That's why everybody's going to aquifer recharge. So what you do is store the water underground. Um, Because evaporation rates have doubled um, in in southern Africa and in Australia. they've, They've doubled because of climate change. So the, we have 80% to 90% on average in the SADC, South African Development Community, we have, um, uh, the, the water doesn't reach its, um, it, its, its dams. And in South Africa, in the Senku Basin, Orange Senku, it's about 95% does not actually reach the dams. So it, 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 it goes into, into groundwater, it evaporates mostly, and uh, so we have the highest water losses or the most inefficient system. Dams are not the solution 
mm. at all. They're the worst option in actual fact. So what we've got to do is start reusing. We have to recharge aquifers, reuse the mines, for example, and that. But we need new thinking. You know, we're doing the same old, same old, and we're doing it very badly. We need to do new mm. things, and we need to do them very, very well. Harvesting uh, from the air and the likes is, generally speaking, uh, not at scale. It's not efficient. It's mm. fine for very small uh, rural populations and the likes, and it's for emergency operations, and it's extremely expensive. It's about 30 times the price if you put energy into it. So reverse um, air conditioner. Okay. Uh, I want to so ask you a quick question. Answer. A quick question sure. because we've got a minute left. Um, when you go to, you know, some of the shops, all they're doing is selling fresh spring water, spring water from here, spring water from there. Is that water for real and is the cost validated? I don't believe it's a solution. I believe it's for emergency measures and the likes, and I think it's just a fashion fad. Uh, generally speaking, tap water in our metros is fine, and we shouldn't be doing that. There is, there can be some genuine stuff, but that would be from springs. And generally speaking, it's only in KZN and in the Western Cape that I know where it's commercially viable. So no, it's not an option. And then we've got the plastic waste and all the likes. So no, I don't think so. And it's unaffordable for the average person. So you're saying knock it out of the ballpark. We don't need it. We don't need it. We're actually generating more problems uh, with that. So waste problems, et cetera, and the carbon footprint's high because we've got to transport it over distances, and sometimes it's just being filtered from a tap. Ben Wallaroy, thank you so much for uh, the insights into the research, the Blue Drop Audit Report. Hope you've learned a lot more. One of our um, uh, listeners saying your guest is super well-researched. That's uh, a good thing to know. He's the CEO of the South African Water Chamber. It's 8 o'clock. It's time for the news. Good morning.